Hey there, I'm Corey. This is the Official Tapes. It's a radio program that airs on a few radio stations where we showcase the official releases from the most recorded band in history. Talking about the Grateful Dead, every so often we uh, catch up with an artist or maybe an official release that isn't from the Grateful Dead archives. Well, my name is Dave McMurray, and I have a new project entitled Grateful Dedication. It's actually my reimaginations of the Grateful Dead uh, catalog, which is quite vast. <laughs> the saxophone player has come out with a, a few albums. He's also recorded and went on tour with uh, such musicians as Bob Dylan, Iggy Pop, Bonnie Raitt, B.B. King. One of my best things I did was I, I did a session with the Rolling Stones. And that was that was pretty much my one of my best hangs in the world. You know, <laughs> I was kind of like a, a fly on the wall just looking at what was going on. And it was just, I, I did like, I stayed there like four days, but it was, that was my best hang, I think. <laughs> Starting out, David McMurray actually went on the road with legendary blues guitarist Albert King. He would go to the guitar center, we would get get into town, and then he'd come to sound check, and then he'd just stick his guitar in and start playing. And then he'd, he'd fool with the guitar a little bit, and then he'd sound like himself. But the funny part is, he didn't touch the amp. He didn't, you know, because... So if they brought the app in sometime and in the app, the dials were wrong, <laughs> you know, did all the bass turned up or whatever, he wouldn't even look at it. You know, the equalizer, he wouldn't even fool with it. He'd fool with his hands and his guitar. I thought that was amazing. I was like, wait a minute, look at him. He's, he's not even touching the app, <laughs> you know. But it was in his hands, and he'd go, din, din. he'd be fooling with the dial, din, din. and then he'd get his sound and go... <laughs> Man, you know, that was my first gig like outside of Detroit. And believe me, it was it was a learning experience. <laughs> and it was a learning experience from the first day. <laughs> Saxophonist David McMurray sharing what he learned about performing live with blues legend Albert King. Now fast forward to 2018, the sax player was introduced to another guy who knows a thing or two about playing live. David McMurray sat in for an all-star set with Bobby Weir and Wolf Brothers. Hey, I'm Corey, and we are going to start the tape with McMurray's take on that particular show, what it was like playing with Grateful Dead's Bob Weir, and how the 2018 San Francisco's Hardly Strictly Bluegrass Festival inspired the saxophone player to release Grateful Dedications. The release date, July 16th, 2021. When I sat in with them, I really learned. I mean, when I sat in with the Wolf Brothers, that's when it, that showed me everything because I started listening, just for listening, just letting it go by. And it just soared with us. You know, that was within the band with no people hearing it. It was just, it just was incredible. It wasn't even on the gig yet. This was the day before. We went on the gig and it just took off. He had all of these different bars. It was just an odd song, but it was incredible. And the audience was like entranced. And I was like, when he finished, I, I wasn't even thinking. I was just thinking about that. that like, I got to get that. I mean, I got I to gotta see what that's about. How do I get, get that? Because these people, I mean, they were in it. And it was just, 
it was it was it was just hypnotizing because I had only heard you know all of the hits, which were all, it was quite a bit of them, but that was an experience because we actually he had actually charted Bob Weir's song out, you know Don had charted it out. It's like a a chart of all of the chords. First, the chord changes are on there, you know where the chord structure is, and the time signatures. So most songs are in in popular music. They're all four four. And that that's a, kind of a standard everywhere. And so when you looked at it, it was like you know when you think okay, this is you know a rock song or whatever. When you look at it, it looked really hard. <laughs> so everybody was like, whoa, whoa, what, what, is, what? You know, like, what are we going to do? What is... And they would do other, they would go 4-4, four, four, and then they'd throw a 3-4 or a 5-4 bar, which is different. It's, you know, it's, it makes it harder. So you have to look at it. You have to know when that's coming. So that's what the chart tells you when that's coming, <laughs> when that 5-4 bar. And so that means you have to learn it Get really get into where what is going, and then the chord changes were very odd too. Just the, the actual chord structure and the melody was perfect. And it was a, see they do if you notice their songs are really long, <laughs> you know because they have a that's the way their forms are long. So most standard like a standard pop song might have two verses, two choruses, you know, bridge, vamp out, you know, like very it's a standard form. They don't go by that. <laughs> they do something. They do their own what their own formula, you know, and that's what made them really different. So then I just started trying to see what it was about, you know. And of course, you know, you go online. We have the benefit of uh, YouTube now. You know, thousands of shows. <laughs> you know, and then I would, and it would always intrigue me that they would use, like, you know, like Bradford Marcellus on sax, or you know, Ornette Coleman played David Murray. You know, like they would get like these jazz guys, and I'm like, wow, it's, it's something to that. You know, it's, it's it's something to their vision of it. And then I started getting it. You know, it's like they do what they want. They know what it is. So if they do the verse, of course, they can go. Solo if they want or go to the bridge. They can do whatever they want. But they know what they you know, they know where they are and they're improvising. Like, you know, they are truly improvising. And that's you know, that's like what I do in jazz. That was like the, you know, I was always intrigued with Miles Davis and Weather Report and you know, you know, Soft Machine, all these groups that did that. And so and they they they're a perfect vehicle. I, I always say like this project is kinda like you know, San Francisco through Detroit. So when I grew up, I, I just grew up listening to all types of music. I mean, of course, Motown was, was great, but we had a great jazz tradition, you know, with the Yusef Latif and the Jones brothers, Elvin Jones and all these people coming out. And you also had a great rock tradition. So w this was a place when I, I was young, I wasn't even young enough to necessarily go to these concerts, but I would see posters with, that have like the MC5 and then it'd have Pharrell Sanders. You know, or sunrise, you know, and I was like, what, how does, how does that work? And it's like, I would love it. I guess I would always want to go like, I want to go to a concert where I can see those combinations of music, you know, but that, that was Detroit, but it's just a, a rich tradition of music in every area, you know.
you know, I always think of the San Francisco sound, you know, like the sound that was out west. And it was a very free sound. I'm talking about it was, you know, it was free. When I would think of that music, I would think of like Flying the Family Stone and, you know, Santana, you know, and all these groups that are. And then they also had, at the time, Miles Davis played for Bill Graham. And that was a big deal. That was a big deal for him to be on that bill when they, you know, of the, you know, like the, the best so-called rock club out there. And then they're going to bring in Miles Davis. I thought, you know, and I'm reading this. I'm a kid. I'm looking at it like, Miles Davis is playing, what? He's playing in a rock club, what? And then when I heard the music, it was great. It was like, it, it was like the Grateful Dead. It was like, it didn't have no vocals, but it was like, you know, it was rocking. <laughs> rocking, but, but, you know, out there, you know what I mean? And it was, it obviously it fit that club perfectly because they brought him back, <laughs> you know, it became a thing. You know, it would remind me of like, when I would hear the gig for their jamming, when those groups be jamming and, you know, like fly when you see them live and they'd be like just going to this jam and these guys playing, it would remind me of that, but it wouldn't have a vocal. <laughs> and, you know, I know they had to hear it. You know, they why why you know why wouldn't they? These in their hometown. <laughs> but yeah, I looked at this like Detroit through you know, Detroit uh San Francisco connection, you know. <laughs> I have tried to do something like I love, you know, I love their music and tried to do a tribute to their music, but, you know, it's instrumental. And so if you heard it and you weren't a Grateful Dead fan, you would still be able to get the essence of the song by listening to it, even if it was instrumental. So for a fan, if you, you know, if you're a deadhead and you're really a Grateful Dead fan, I want you to know the song as soon as you hear it, even though it's not, it may not be any lyrics. You know, I'm just getting a taste of playing it on shows now, I would play a song here and there, and it, it's pretty incredible because if it's a fan, like when I play Dark Star, if it's a fan, they know it immediately. Even though they might not have been expecting it, they'll know the song. But if you weren't a fan, by the time we got to the end of it, they would be kind of, had this kind of thing where they would be into it, even though they didn't know what it is. And so I was like, that's the power of the song, definitely. You know, that's the power of their whole catalog. started getting into their music and getting to the melodies and stuff and the melodies were i mean they made hits because they they melody actually wrote very singable melodies <laughs> and then and then they were improvised and so that's what that was intriguing to me so i just like how can i you know just i, I want to you know i want to try it you know to try it where it is because their songs were catchy and i thought that their songs would be able to be instrumental and you still know what they were, you know, and that's the key to a good song. You know, it's like, you you know, if you hit, if, you know, when a person is walking down the street and they're whistling, they're whistling the melody, you know, they, they, they may not even remember the words, but they know the melody. So I just, my first song I recorded was uh, Dark Star.
like the intro. I like the whole feel. I listened to, you know, that, you know, millions of versions of it, of course. <laughs> so I would listen to a lot of them. And then we went in, you know, I rehearsed it and went in with my band, you know, and we uh, mapped out what we were going to do. And that was the first one that I got that I was really, I mean, it, it took on the, what I was looking for, that magic of, of that sponta being spontaneous, but structured, you know, structured, but it still had this element of a, a band, of being a band. And then I just would pick songs right after that. I would go, I'd get that song and I'd go, okay, I need a, a song like this. And then, you know, I'd pick that. Okay, I need a song like this. And then I would go, estimated profit. You know, but... In doing that, I'd be listening, just just listening to their music, driving with it, you know, listening to different versions, because each version they would do of a song would be different, <laughs> you know, so it, sometimes they would have a double time beat on it, sometimes not, you know, sometimes, you know, so I was just listening and I just did that until I, you know, I, I had the songs that I wanted, you know, I cut more than I, you know, I'm still Working, I'm gonna play like on the gig. I'm gonna play more than what I've recorded. Actually, you know, other songs. You know. And I knew, okay, I can't be the singer, but I can be the sax player. The sax player is always next to the singer, and the singer, sax player, singer stops playing, and then the sax comes in, <laughs> and that's me. You know, I was like, okay, that's that's gonna be my spot if I'm not doing my own gig. That's my spot, <laughs> you know. Must be getting early. The clocks are running late. Paper number morning sky. Oh yeah, he's my guy. He's actually a pretty incredible singer. <laughs> you know, he, he's one of those guys with a perfect pitch. I haven't met too many people like that. That you know, they can hear a record and they hear somebody singing and they go, "That's a G." <laughs> I love the original. I mean, it's funny because when people who who weren't familiar with Grateful Dead, when I say I say Grateful Dead, and they go, "No," nah. I thought, "Look, there's no way you haven't heard the song." Then I go, "Let's listen to this." And they go, "Oh yeah, I heard that." It's like, of course you did. <laughs> it's like a, they have loads of them. But you know, so I was like, I need. After I did the, I did the slower one first, and I was like, okay, I want. I'm gonna just we can go in and just improvise this other one. 
you know, and I kind of said what it was, you know, what I wanted to do, kind of said it. We talked about it because we didn't rehearse it. We just kind of talked about it and then just went in and started cutting. <laughs> and then we did like two, three versions and then I let them go. And then I, I went from there, <laughs> you know, and, and ended up, I, it, it, was, it was fun. When they heard it put together, they were like, whoa, you know, <laughs> they were surprised. You know? definitely delivered that lyric for sure <laughs> when i was envisioning the album i knew i was going to have a vocal song so then we started talking about well maybe a female you know so then you know you gotta think of the right voice for that you know the right female and it's and in talking about it you know our manager said hey, what, what about Betty levette and it's like whoa yeah yeah because this was just kind of a wish list you know not that you knew how to get to these people <laughs> and it was like and it's like, yeah, that would be incredible. She's like, okay, well, we, you know, we think along those lines. All I'm asking for is ten gold dollars, and I could pay you back with just one good hand. That's the way. And so it's like, okay, now. Let's figure out how to do it. So that was the next thing. So we started listening. You know, I would just listen to music, listen to a lot of their songs. And when I heard that lyric, I was like, that's a good lyric. In the country. I, you know, like, I think she could pull that off, you know, because any female couldn't do that, couldn't even sing the lyric. <laughs> you know, you had to have a certain kind of a person to do that. And she ended up being perfect, <laughs> perfect for it, because the first, that's the first thing she listened to. We could get by where you know and we talked about it for months you know like you know how would you do it you know whatever but it kind of fell together when he heard it he heard her and that was the sale you know he heard her singing that lyric 
you know, and and she just, I mean, she sold it that he agreed to play on it. <laughs> and it just, I mean, and that, and that was definitely was the, you know, the selling point, you know, just hearing her sing it and see, hearing her interpret the lyrics, you know, like really, you know, mean, it sounded like she means it. And, you know, like, I'm not going to be a loser, but then you feel like, oh, she's going to be a loser. <laughs> but the lyric is saying, I'm not going to be a loser. And he, he heard it and, and he went, you know, and he played incredibly. It, it, it turned out really good. Well, the main, main thing I look for when I'm picking songs, even, you know, outside of this project in general, is the melody. I look at, you know, and certain artists have really melodies that are, you know, not necessarily catchy, but they're, the lyric content, content catches you, but the music catches you like even like a touch of gray like you you hear touch of gray and it's fast and it's nice and a happy song but when you read the lyrics they're not happy <laughs> you know it's not really a happy song <laughs> you know he's telling somebody you know every silver lining got a touch of gray and you're gonna get it too it's, it's not necessarily a happy song but the song itself the music is really oh it's catchy and it makes people feel it. That's kind of why they have lots of songs like that. Their songs are like happy. The music is happy. It kind of makes people feel good. And, and it's still improvisational at the same time, you know, which is the key to the whole thing. The way they did it, you know, it would be a catchy song, but it wouldn't be just normal, just a pop song. <laughs> it would have all this improvisation to it. And that's been the key to the whole longevity of it. I mean, you know, but I couldn't figure that out. It's like, how do we get these people following them? <laughs> I mean, going to the next concert, when I read, you know, I saw that they are, uh, like they encouraged them, people to make cassettes of them. That was totally the opposite of everyone. <laughs> when, when, when cassettes came in, they thought it was gonna ruin the music business. I remember hearing that, you know, just the same, it's gonna ruin the music business, people. Why buy a CD when you can just make a cassette of it? So bands didn't like it, but they encouraged it, and then ended up being one of the keys, you know. Because when when they get to the next town, the people already they they heard some of it already. <laughs> they're trading tapes; they're not selling them; they're trading them, <laughs> and that was that was ingenious, you know. <laughs> It's funny they don't have they don't have solos a lot anymore in pop music. I mean, you know, pop, you know, they don't really do the serious solos anymore. And I'm waiting for that to come back. And it's like, okay, come on, come on, you know. <laughs> At one point, you had to have a sax solo. <laughs> I'm waiting for it to get back to that because at first it was guitar solo, and then it went to sax. And I, that was at my point when I'm trying to be that, you know, like a sax player, you know, I'm trying to get in there and, and I can be the sax player. Dave McMurray.net, yeah, Facebook, Dave McMurray, you know, Dave McMurray saxophone, IG, 
You know, definitely. And I, I'll be I'll be having all the gigs posted. I'll be forging ahead. That's the band that's on the record is my band. So we're ready to hit it. I'm going to be hitting the trail over the next six months. So, yeah, definitely look out. 